Hello, Real Life family. So good to be together again. And uh, last week we were talking about the kingdom of God. And today I want to continue with that. But first I want to just uh, give a quick announcement about Easter. Easter is coming up. And we're going to be doing two services this Easter just for that particular Sunday. So they're going to be at 9 o'clock and at 11 o'clock for Easter. So I just wanted to get that out there ahead of time. We're gonna be announcing that because it is a change. Right now our, our service is only, uh, only one service at 10 o'clock. So I wanted to start spreading the word so people know. Uh, on Easter, two services, nine and 11. All right, let's talk about the kingdom of God. Last week I was talking about the kingdom of God and Jesus came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is near. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the earth and then the end will come. And so we we're talking about the importance of understanding the message of the kingdom. And the gospel, gospel, the word means uh, good news. So we have good news to share in the midst of a heavy society, a dark, broken world and the chaos all around us. We see it falling apart. And in the midst of all the chaos, there is a purpose for you and for me right now on the earth. We are to be the light of God's love and truth and salvation in the midst of a dark and broken world. God is still at work on this world, but he's at, the, uh, at work in the hearts of people, right? That's God's desire is to rescue us out of our own sin, out of this brokenness, out of the pain and the hurt. Uh, of our world. And while one kingdom is shaking and falling apart, the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of God is growing and building and strong, right? And we know it's going to climax at the return of the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the good news is that Jesus is coming again that he loves us. He came, he died for our sins so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life. So we could be born again. We could be made alive. And so that no matter what happens on this earth, even if our bodies stop working, we are eternal beings born again by the Spirit and will live forever in eternity with him. And that's the good news we need to share with people who are still in a broken world, who are still under the lordship of sin, under the lordship of the prince of this air, under the lordship whose language, native language, is lying and deceit, right? So we come into the darkness with light. We come into deception with truth. We come into a realm of death with life. So that's what we're talking about today. And I want to continue talking about that a little bit uh, as I just did a little review with you. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, in reflecting on the return of, of Christ, the fact that all of this world is going to fall apart and disintegrate, Peter says these words. He says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? In other words, everything that we have, everything that I own, everything that I've worked so hard to build, my lawn, my manicured lawn, my barns, my cars, houses, you know, clothes, my baseball card collection, right? Everything we have, it's going to be gone. There's a day when all of this stuff will just be disintegrated. The kingdom of this world is fading away. It's going to rot. It's going to rust. It's going to crumble. It's going to be burned. It's going to disappear. It's going to be gone because God is bringing a new heaven and a new earth. And with this perspective 
the reflective question that Peter poses to us is, if that's the case, what kind of lives ought we to be living now? Should we be living a life that is constantly trying to prop up a, a broken kingdom that's going to fall? Should we be putting all of our energy and effort into making something down here instead of investing in eternity? I mean, these are the obvious Christian type of thoughts, right? And the answer is, of course not. We should be prioritizing eternity over the temporary, right? We should be prioritizing the building of the kingdom of God instead of the building of the kingdom of man. And this is a, a struggle that we all face all the time, especially as men, where we see ourselves as providers of our families. We want to have money. We want to be successful. We want to make our, our life count. And oftentimes, we express those through our jobs, through our money, through our toys, through our stuff. Right? But all the stuff, the money, the toys, all that's going to disappear. I'm not saying that stuff is wrong, but I am saying that the perspective, though, a godly perspective, a godly worldview, a biblical worldview, says, listen, in light of the fact that this world is dissipating and disappearing, but there is a kingdom that's eternal and everlasting, we need to prioritize not what's here, but what is to come. And we are to build and invest our lives in building the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this world. And so we're going to get into that today a little bit. But the Bible goes in to say, Peter goes, in, goes on to say in the next breath, what kind of people ought you to be? He says, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That's what I was talking about last week a little bit. We can actually speed the coming of the Messiah by doing what? By preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. <laughs> That's the only thing that is causing God to relent. It's not that God has forgotten his promise. It's not that God's too busy getting things ready for us. It's that God's heart is that none would perish or be lost. And so he wants the gospel to go to everyone. So everyone has the opportunity to repent and be saved for all eternity. So the church is alive and well today because we have a job to do to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. And so Paul says, or Peter says, so we ought to live holy and godly lives. Now, to be holy means to be set apart. What he's saying is our lives matter. They have special significance. They're not to be common. And we're not to just go through life, you know, trying to survive until we die. No, we have a holy purpose. We have a set apart purpose. We have a message to proclaim. We have a kingdom that's growing in us and a kingdom that's growing through us as we keep our eyes fixed on the return of the Messiah. All right, so I want to talk about that today. And uh, I want to go on just a minute more with this. In 2 Peter 3, chapter 9, it shows us the will of God, okay? It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as in returning, Jesus returning as Messiah, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, <coughs> excuse me, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's why Jesus isn't here yet, because of the mercy and the love of God and his patience and his desire to save all who are willing to believe. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we are commissioned to live our lives in light of this understanding. And as a result, we're not to be surprised, fearful, or even distracted 
by the brokenness and the chaos that's going on in our world. It's easy to get filled with fear. It's easy to be um, thinking that, you know, we're in trouble. Uh, this world's falling apart. Yeah, those things are true. But we aren't surprised by that. These were things that Jesus said were going to take place. So we don't want to be overly distracted. I'm not saying to be uncaring. I'm not saying to be uninvolved. I'm not saying that. But I'm to say don't be overly uh, distracted or captivated by fear or worry about money and the economy and wars. Those are all important and we need to play a role and we need to do whatever God's calling us to do to get involved. But these saints were coming, Jesus said. We know this. And so the priority of our lives, even more so than ever before, is to shine the light of the gospel of the kingdom of God and to extend that priestly outreach to a world that's lost, hurting, dying, and needs Jesus. Needs Jesus. Preaching the gospel is not always done with words. In fact, to earn a platform of trust in, in people's lives, it's often a transformed life that takes place first before we have a voice in other people's lives, don't we? Isn't that true? And so this message today is called The Kingdom of God is Within You. While we were talking last week how this big cosmic you know, kingdom of God is coming, the Messiah is coming, he's going to um, judge, he's going to right every wrong, evil will be defeated, he's going to rule with the kingdom of peace and shalom, and we long for that day uh, where all of this chaos is done, but in the meantime, it's not just this big idea of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is also incredibly detailed, specific, and personal to you and to me. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is, it's within you. So Luke chapter 17, verse 20 and 21, I want to talk about this concept of the kingdom of God is within you. This is what he said to the Pharisees. When he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would appear, Jesus answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. Jesus was saying that the kingdom of God is spiritual and, and an internal force. It's not physical and external. You won't be seeing it on the outside necessarily of armies showing up, of battles going on, and God staking a flag in the ground and defeating physical armies. But Jesus says the kingdom is within you. The rule that God wants to have is over your heart. He already rules the nations. He doesn't, he could just, he could just snap his fingers and reclaim the planet. That's not a problem for God. But the part that God wants to rule is men and women and children's hearts, one at a time. And the real battle rages over the souls of his creation, right? And that's the kingdom that Jesus began to build when he showed up. And he said, the kingdom of God, the rule of God is within you. Now, let's remind ourselves what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God. The ultimate motive of this message today, as I was praying and asking God what I should share, was this right here. And I'm going to give it to you before we even get into the message that much. And it's this. Is God ruling and reigning in your soul? Is he ruling and reigning over every part of the inside 
of who, who you are. Because that is the key to our lives being transformed, to having a real relationship with God, and being you know, able to reproduce out of something that's inside of us to the outside to those around us. So is God, is the kingdom of God, is the rule of God, is God reigning inside of you? And if, is there any area of your life inside of you, <clears throat> excuse me, that God is not ruling and reigning? Then my challenge to you is repent. Change your mind. Turn it over to God. And let the kingdom of God rule and reign in that part of your life as well. God wants every nook and cranny of your soul submitted to him so that you can experience abundant life and prosperity. I'm not talking about money and stuff. I'm talking about the prosperity of your soul, that you will be filled with love and joy and peace, not hate, hurt, harm, and, and ego and pride and lust and all the things of this world. God wants to fill you with his kingdom values. And he can't fill something that you're holding back from him, right? And so the message here today is the kingdom of God starts on the inside of us, not the outside. So let's talk about that a little bit. The gospel of the kingdom uh, is what we are preaching, but it's also what we are to be seeking as the priority of our life. Jesus put it this way, Matthew 6, He said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So as we go through this life journey, our focus isn't to be on surviving, it's not to be on collecting, it's not to be earning, making, trying to do a bunch of stuff here and meet all of our needs. Our focus, according to Jesus, is to be on the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then God will provide as we do that. He will lead us, he will guide us, he will bless us, he will provide for us. We still go to work. We still have responsibilities. But those things are not above the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is above all those other things. And when the kingdom of God is first in your life and in your heart, everything else comes into its order and place. And God is our king. He provides for us. So the kingdom of God, seeking the rule of God, we are to seek the rule of God on the earth in everyone, in everything, everywhere. To usher in the rule of God, the kingdom of God. Seek first that God is ruling and reigning everywhere you are. Seek first that God is ruling and reigning in your soul, in your family, in your neighborhood, in, in, in your job, in your school, where you go, in your town, in your city, in the policies that are made, in your nation, in your country. We are to seek the rule and reign of God over everyone in everything, everywhere, to establish God's rule and reign. Because when God is ruling and reigning, there is a flood of life that begins to take place. If he's ruling and reigning in your life, he is redeeming you from death to life. He is transforming you from darkness to light, from deceit to truth. That's what God does. And wherever God is ruling and reigning, good things are happening. But wherever God's not ruling and reigning and man's ruling and reigning or the devil's ruling and reigning or pride is in charge or greed is in charge or lust is in charge, oh man, what a mess. What a mess. So God is calling us to seek first that his kingdom will come, that his rule and his reign will be in place on the earth 
as it is in heaven. Do you see that? It's not just a message we preach. It is, uh, the, it is the seeking of God's will to be done in our lives and around us and through us. His righteousness is the other thing we're to seek first. His kingdom and his righteousness. Notice, and I'll mention this a little bit later, this is not our righteousness. But we are to seek first his righteousness. Right? What Christ has done for us. Not what we have done for God. Not what we have done to prove to God. Not what we, we are doing in order to earn some sort of a merit with God or to earn our salvation. That's religion. That doesn't work. No man will, will be made righteous in the eyes of God because of what they have done. In fact, just the opposite. Because of what we've done, we are unrighteous in the eyes of God. Except when we turn it all over to Jesus and we trust in him by faith as Lord and Savior. Now, it's no longer our track record. It is Christ's track record. And so we seek first his righteousness, not our righteousness. Isn't that awesome? That's what God has done for each and every one of us. Now, <clears throat> most people, though, are looking for a visible, external, physical kingdom of God. Most people are also striving for righteousness through their personal effort, through their means, through their striving. That's why we have so much religion in our world. We have this desire on the inside of us that we know that we're wrong. We know that we have failed. We know that we have sinned. So we try to appease those feelings by doing better, by doing good, by trying to apply religious rules and principles so that we can somehow earn our way out of our debt of sin or our debt of guilt or shame, right? That's what we do. We see it all over the place. We've all done it. And yet the message of the gospel is we can't earn salvation that way. All right? We can only be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. So Jesus confronted this, this type of mindset in his day. Matthew chapter 23. He's talking to the Pharisees. Or he's talking about the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were a religious uh, group of Jews at the time who were very scrupulous about the law and were trying to get everybody on the outside to obey all the laws, all right, to do religion. But at the same time, Jesus is exposing their insides, saying on the inside, you're hypocrite. You're not actually really alive in God. You're actually dead on the inside. And on the outside, you're putting all these rules and you're projecting yourself in front of everybody as that you are a holy person because you're doing these things on the outside. But on the inside, you're dead. You're not alive. And that's what religion does to us. Religion says, well, I'm going to do all this stuff on the outside, but don't look on the inside what's really going on on the inside because you won't be happy with me and I wouldn't be happy with me if you know what was really going on on the inside. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. The kingdom of God is where? Within you. It's not on the outside. It is something on the inside. And when the kingdom and the rule of God is on the inside and you have life and you have a relationship with God on the inside, it's just a matter of time before things start to change on the outside, but it's from that relationship with God. All right, so this is what he says in Matthew chapter 23, 26. He's talking about one of the rules that the Pharisees had about cleaning dishes and, and making sure that there's no impurity and anything that, uh, that they would drink or touch would be unclean. And it's, it was one of the religious rules. And he said this, 
first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. And he was telling them, look, you got all these rules on the outside that's trying to make yourself right with God, but it's not the rules themselves, it's the heart. And if you get the heart right with God, the outside will take care of itself. Can I get an amen from somebody? He has several examples of this listed in Matthew chapter 23. And we get caught up, we tend to get caught up in the outside religious duties and miss the whole internal heart of the matter that God is really wanting to transform in us. God didn't come, Jesus didn't come, right? I say this all the time, to give us a religion. He didn't come to give us a religion to follow. He, gave, he came to give himself a relationship. So we could know him. We could be in fellowship with him and our hearts could be changed. That we can have a real relationship with him. That's why Jesus came. On the outside, you know, we might say, well, I'm listening to this message, so I'm doing the right thing. But on the inside, we could be like ignoring what God is saying to our hearts. We could be hard-hearted towards the message. People could come to church and say, well, I did my thing. I went to church. Doesn't that count for something? But while they're sitting in church, maybe they're not worshiping God. Maybe they're thinking about the football game or they're thinking about the basketball tournament, thinking about lunch. Or maybe they're sitting in church and, they, and the message is coming across. And instead of taking it to heart, they've just got a hard heart and just closed off to what God would say. That could happen, right? Or someone could come to church and it's not about the outside thing, but the outside thing helps set up what's about to happen. They come to church, but they come to church and they're like, oh God, I need you. Oh God, I'm hungry for you. And they're listening to the message and God starts to speak. And all of a sudden they start to, oh man. And they allow their heart to be touched. They allow their mind to be changed. They're being transformed on the inside. And that's what is really the point of it, isn't it? Not that you just came to church or not that you just listened to the message, but that there's a heart connection. There's a response to God. It's a real authentic connection that you're making with God. Isn't that what it's, it's all about? And that's what Jesus was saying. Look, you can do all these outside stuff, but if it's not real on the inside, what's the point? You don't get the kingdom on the outside by religious observances. The kingdom starts on the inside, where your soul is, where your heart is. We could be uh, singing songs, but our, our heart could be distant, or we could be singing songs and connecting with God and being real and hungry for Him. You know, the Pharisees would pray. They would pray these long prayers. Jesus called them out on it. He says, you see the Pharisees? They'll go on and on and on, praying, praying, praying. Why? Because they want people to see how amazing they are. Like they want people to be impressed by the length of their prayers. They would dress with religious garments and they would have these long, beautiful, colorful tassels which would really speak of how amazing they are, like their accomplishments, their, their, the, the prestige that they, they had because of their titles. And they wanted people to see that. Why? Because actually what was going on inside of them was they were prideful. I mean, it wasn't about them really knowing God better than anybody else. It wasn't their long prayers was because they knew God better than someone else or they're closer to God. That really wasn't what was going on at all. On the inside, they were hungering for the attention, the applause of the people. It was pride, self-centeredness. So Jesus says, instead of doing that, just go into your closet where nobody else is there and pray to your Father in heaven and he will see your prayers in secret and will answer you. 
He says it's not about the outside stuff. It's about the heart. It's about the inside stuff. He had the, same, the Pharisees did the same thing with giving. They'd be like announcing that they're going to give this gift and they would promenade whatever their gift was and, and make a big spectacle of it. And look at me, how righteous of a person I am. Look at how I am following this religion, right? But they weren't saying it that way. They were saying, look at how holy I am before God. I'm bringing this gift. Dun, da, da, da. Everybody see what I'm doing? Everybody see what I'm doing? There you go, God. Wow. Boy, oh boy, aren't I a good Christian? <laughs> you know? I mean, that's what they were doing. And Jesus would, would notice someone over in the corner without any trumpet, without any flare, without any attention, giving their, their, what little they had, which is very small probably compared to a prominent Pharisee who had, who had money, giving just one little mite. And Jesus would call his attention of his disciples to that widow and say, do you see that? Do you see what she just did? Wow. She just gave everything she had. Look at her heart. That's what I'm talking about. And can you, can you imagine how, how she was rewarded after that? We don't see the rest of the story, but I guarantee you God took care of her. I guarantee you God poured out blessings on her life because he saw her heart. So Jesus says the kingdom of God is within you. It's not about the, the rules. It's not about the performances. It's not about the exterior. It's about what's going on in the inside. So you either have religion or you have a relationship with Jesus. You can have a religion about Jesus or you can have a relationship with Jesus. Please have a relationship with Jesus. All right? The kingdom is inside of us. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Jesus, again, having this confrontation. I want to read these first six verses for you of an idea uh, of how Jesus had to deal with this in his time. Mark chapter 3 says, Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Can you imagine? His hand was shriveled up. If you have been watching The Chosen, there's an episode of this story in The Chosen. I can't remember which episode it is, but it's pretty cool. And some of them were looking, some of the Pharisees, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So already inside of their hearts, they were looking with a cynical eye at Jesus and saying, I'm going to find him doing something wrong. Okay, so this is what's going on on the inside of the hearts, all right? So they watched him closely to see if he would heal this man on the Sabbath. Why on the Sabbath? Because if he heals him on the Sabbath, that's breaking our rules. One of the rules that they had, you know, to honor the Sabbath, they interpreted as to do no work on the Sabbath, which meant uh, 39 different rules they came up with. I'm not kidding. 39 different categories of what they called work that they detailed out in these long lists of rules. And so they made all these extra rules so that no one would break the Sabbath by doing work on the Sabbath. And one of those rules was to change or to heal someone. I'm just going to keep it simple. Would be to heal someone. Okay. And so they're looking to see if Jesus is going to do this because he heard room, they heard rumors that he did this kind of thing. Verse 3, Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. I love this. If this was a church service, and he's got some skeptics in there, the Pharisees. They're like, we're going to see if he can uh, heal someone. If he's going to do this, oh man, we're going to get him, right? So he doesn't make any um, secret of it. He's like, man, yeah, right there. Come here. Come on up on stage. Get up here in front of everyone so everyone can see what's about to happen. <laughs> I love how Jesus is doing this. He's just going to put it right in their face. And see how they handle it. And this man stands up in front of everyone and he asks, now he asks the question to his, he can tell what's going on. He can read the room. He knows who's there. 
He can tell what's going on in their hearts. So he asks them out loud, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? And they wouldn't answer him. The Bible says they remained silent. And he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts because they wouldn't answer the question. Come on. Do you do good on the Sabbath or should you do evil? They refused to answer. Of course you do good. Of course you would do something that's good, not evil. Of course you would try to save a life, not kill a life on the Sabbath. They wouldn't answer the question. So he turns to the man and he says, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. He healed him. Then the Pharisees went out, they left, and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Do you see the irony of this? Here we have some Pharisees who are trying to protect a religious law. And for them, they're interpreting this as love for the law, love for God by protecting the law. And Jesus is trying to get them to see something. He says, listen, is it lawful for you to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath? He is about ready to do good. He's about ready to heal a man of his suffering. And, and to them, that's breaking the law. And Jesus is saying, but it's doing good. But at the same time, in the inside of your heart, you are plotting to kill me. Do you see how religion can get so screwed up? Their hearts were wanting to kill Jesus and got mad at him for healing a man of his suffering and saving life, promoting life. Wow. Wow. So the kingdom of God is within you. The reign of God is about our hearts coming in alignment with God's truth that sets us free, that heals us, and renews us so we can have abundant life. So I want to talk about that for a few more minutes. This does not mean that the outward things that we do doesn't matter, right? Only that cor the correct process is to be changed from the inside out, not to try to do outside things without changing the inside. If we change the inside, if we let the kingdom of God on the inside, if we let God rule and reign on the inside, he will work out the outside stuff and our life will be changed. It does matter how we live our lives. It does matter the decisions that we make. It does matter whether we sin or not, for sure. But the beginning is not from the outside observances of trying to toe a line. It is allowing God on the inside to do that transformation for us. So, all righteousness produces life, and all wickedness produces death, right? So, all sin comes from deception, from a lie. It does. It just, I call it temporary insanity. Whenever I sin, you know, I see myself as I was crazy. I bought some kind of lie. I believed some kind of deception, as if God isn't everything that I need as if God isn't telling me the truth, as if God's word isn't true and full of life. Somewhere along the line, I got deceived and I went crazy, right? I made a terrible choice, a bad decision. I was deceived into thinking something different. So 
uh, you know, and it produces pain, hurt, brokenness, and ultimately death. But when I'm in alignment with God's will in my life, when my heart is healed, when I am obe obedient to God's truths and in alignment with Him, then life is produced. I'm blessed. I'm healthier. I'm happier. My relationships are better, right? In every area of your life that is in alignment with God's truth and you're walking in that alignment, there is blessing. And the opposite, wherever there's areas of our hearts and lives that we are sinning or outside of God's path, we're experiencing not prosperity, but we're experiencing trouble or hurt or brokenness or lack or darkness or hurt, okay? But our motive for righteous living isn't because of our fear of hell. So it's not a religion of fear. Our motive of righteous living should not be pride to, like the Pharisees, to be better than someone else, to prove ourselves to God or to prove ourselves better than others. Listen, our motive for righteous living as a Christian now is love from a relationship with Jesus and the understanding that there's more life for me as I follow him and trust in him. That's our motive. Do you see how we can be set free from that religious mindset? A lot of us came from a background where we were filled with fear. You better do this or else. You better not do that or else. You'll go to hell or God will be mad at you. You see, or you'll be disqualified. And so a lot of us come from that upbringing of a religious oppression, a fear of God in an unhealthy way that is threatening us with obedience. Well, if you disobey, you're in trouble, right? That whole mindset needs to be thrown away. That's not what Jesus came to share with us. That's not how Jesus shared the gospel, the good news. That's not good news. You better or else. That's not good news. That doesn't make me feel good. That doesn't help me. That puts a lot more weight on me, a lot more pressure on me because I know it's just a matter of time before I screw up. And so do you. We all know this. So that's not what the kingdom is. The kingdom is not on the outside. It's on the inside. It's in a relationship, not in a religion. And so that's why I'm sharing this with you because this is the core of our transformation. It's not getting better at doing the rules. It's coming alive in our relationship with Jesus and letting the work on the inside eventually seep out to the outside and it changes my attitude, changes my behaviors, changes my thoughts, improves my relationships because the changes are going on the inside and coming on, on the outside. Now the difference between you right now if you are a Christian and you before you were a Christian is basically two things. One, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> Hallelujah, your sins are forgiven. If you're a Christian today, you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. God is not holding your sins over you any longer. The second thing is this. You also now are born again with the Spirit of God and you have the power of God in your life to now overcome sin. To not just be forgiven of sin, but to be set free from sin. However, here's the reality. Not all of us Christians are accessing that power to be set free from sin. We're forgiven of sin, but not all of us are being set free from sin. That's a shame. I'm not saying shame on you. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there's so much more for us. Remember, this isn't about not going to hell. 
This is about an abundant life Jesus came to give us. A life of freedom. He doesn't forgive us of our sin so that we can stay bound to it. And so we can continue to suffer the consequences of brokenness that sin produces. Or death that sin produces. He came to set us free. To redeem us. To take us from a place of death into life. And redeem our soul. Redeem our relationships. Redeem our life. To fill us with his goodness. So Romans chapter 6 verses 1 to 7 uh, talks about this issue. Paul is saying this. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He's saying, hey, because we're forgiven of our sins, should we just have a free-for-all and just sin as much as we want? I mean, that's what Paul is saying. And we all would scream, no, of course not. Now that we're forgiven, do we just keep sinning just because we're off the hook? Of course not. Why? Because that's going to continue to harm us and destroy us. Now we have a brand new life we can live. We can actually be free from that crap. Isn't that awesome? We can be changed. Paul goes on to say in verse 4, he says, Listen, we were therefore buried with Christ through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We too may be raised from the dead. Our old life was death, brokenness, bondage, slaves to sin. But now because we've been baptized in Christ, we've placed our faith in him, we too can be raised to a new life, a new way of living, a new way of relating. We are now filled with the power of God to experience a changed life. Not all of us are accessing that, but it's true. Yes, we're all forgiven, but boy, oh boy, is there a whole new life that we can access now through the grace of God. And that's what I want to share with you a little bit more about in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, I want to challenge all of us to meditate and memorize these four verses this week. Titus chapter 2, verses 11, 12, 13, and 14. This is the whole message right here that I want you to focus on. Listen to these words. For the grace of God, this is the grace or the enablement and the power of God upon us, Jesus in us, that brings salvation, has appeared to all men. This is Jesus. Jesus has appeared to us. He is the grace of God. And now Jesus in us is the power of God to help us live this new life. For the grace of God that brings salvation, forgiveness, healing, deliverance from evil, has appeared to all of us, all men. And it teaches us to say no. God's power, God's grace, Jesus, his spirit in us, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and instead to live a new life to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age this is not religion <laughs> it's not religion the power of God Christ in us now teaches us to say no to these things not because we have to to get saved you hear what I'm saying we don't say, no, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. No, I can't do that either. Nope, that's in the rules. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. This isn't religion. Because we're forgiven, because Christ is in us, the Spirit of God shows us, I don't want anything to do with that. No, 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 that's not life. That's bondage. That's brokenness. Uh-uh, stiff arm that too. That's not for me. I've done that. I'm over that. 
That's not going to rule me anymore. Do you see? So the grace, the power of God in us teaches us to stiff arm sin, resist temptation. Know that's not who I am. I'm not doing it out of a religiousness. I'm doing it out of a relationship. And my eyes are open and I want life and I want love and I want fullness and I want Christ ruling and reigning in me. And it teaches us the opposite to how do we live a godly life. We actually get trained through the Spirit of God in us to live righteously, a godly life, a self-controlled life, right? So that we will prosper. goes on to say, all this is happening while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are doing this while we're waiting for Jesus to return. And we will continue to do this until he returns. We will continue to grow in our ability to be set free from wickedness and brokenness. And we will continue to grow in a better godly life, a more righteous life, a more aligned life with God's truths until Jesus comes back. goes on to say, who, Jesus, gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. Okay? This is so amazing. So we don't become Christians and then just live the rest of our lives with the same old baggage, with the same old problems. Jesus gave his life for us to redeem us from all of that wickedness, from all of the things that are not righteous. Again, this isn't religion. This is life. This is real life. Right? So you either have righteousness, which is what, it, what the word that we use to be in alignment with God's truth, or you have wickedness, which means to be off the path of righteousness. All righteousness leads to life. All wickedness leads to death. Jesus came to set us free from all wickedness, that we might have righteousness, his righteousness. The more of his righteousness we have that we are living in, the more life that we have. The more wickedness we're stuck in, the more bondage we're stuck in, right? The more death we're experiencing. As a Christian, the difference now is that you have the grace of God and the power of God in you to see the transformation take place if you give God something to work with, to give God permission to continue to follow him and listen to him and obey his word and his spirit and the people around you that are godly people. As you avail yourself of the heart changes going on, God is going to do that great work in you. Before you were a Christian, you didn't have the power to say no. You didn't have the ability to not sin. You were going to sin because you had the seed of sin in you. Now, the seed's been taken out, replaced with the seed of God, the Holy Spirit. Now there is a desire to be righteous, a longing for more freedom, a longing for that relationship with God. Isn't that awesome? And it goes on to say, not only did he give himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his own, eager to do what is good with an internal motivation that we want to do what is good because God is in us, <clears throat> excuse me, and he's showing us and he's transforming us. And now our very motives are changed and we're purified. Last week I was cleaning out the uh, long jump, jump pit, as a, I'm the track coach at Montrose, we had all these birds, thousands of birds and weeds all in the sand. And I was using my hand because you couldn't see them. So I'm using my hand, I'm brushing the sand carefully and going, ow, ow, oh, ow. And I'd pick them and I'd just take them off my hand and put them away. And I kept doing that for a couple of hours and it was a painful process. <laughs> I'm never going to do it like that again. And now I've got all these little 
pricks stuck in me, okay? But sometimes I think about that God wants to purify us in the same way. There's things about us that prick people, hurt people. There's things about us that are holding us back. And it'd be very easy to just say to the team or say to myself, you know what, we're just not gonna long jump this year. We're just, there's just too much pain over there. It's too hard to go through that process. So we're just not gonna do that. And sometimes we do that with our life. We just say, that's too painful. I'm just gonna close that off. And what happens is, the more of those areas that we close off to God because it's too painful, it's too hurtful, we don't wanna deal with it, we're too uncomfortable with it, um, it's too broken, the smaller our life gets. And we're shrinking. And God wants to redeem those things. He wants to get into that, sift it, purify it, change you, redeem you. And then you become bigger and better and stronger and more full of life. That's God's plan for us. He redeemed us from all wickedness. He's purifying for himself a people who belong to him and him alone. Don't belong to pride anymore. I don't belong to greed anymore. I don't belong to the world, this world anymore. I don't belong to the system of selfishness anymore. I, 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 me, me, me. No, nope, don't belong to that. I don't serve those gods anymore. I'm Jesus. I'm all yours, Jesus. I'm yours. And I'm eager to follow you. Why? Ah, because every time I do, there's more life in it for me. There's more life in it for me. Now, this is the posture of the church. This is the gospel of the kingdom of God, and it is within us. And the more we allow the kingdom of God, God to rule and reign in us, to sift us as we obey God, as we, we're not, obedience is not religion. Obedience is smart. <laughs> it's aligning yourself as you read and study God's word, as you get counsel from other people, as the Holy Spirit speaks to you, you need to make some changes. You need to allow God to sift you and purify you. Not because it's a religious duty, but because it's how you come alive. It's how you're set free. It's how you're changed and transformed. The more you do that, the brighter your light becomes in a dark world. And that is our witness, a changed life. Like I said at the outset, preaching usually doesn't begin with words. It begins with building a platform of credibility with the people around us. And the platform of credibility is our lives. My life has changed. I'm not an angry person anymore. I'm not a, a selfish person anymore. Well, I still got some things to work out. Paul said that in Philippians 3.12. He says, listen, not that I've already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect. None of us are perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. But we are, we are growing if we're allowing the grace of God to do these things in us. And Paul says, but... I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I'm going to keep pressing on. I'm going to forget about the past, not in a way that I'm burying it, but I'm going to get healed from it. I'm going to let God redeem it, and now I'm going to move forward, and I'm going to keep pressing for the abundant life that Christ made possible for me. I love that verse in Philippians 3, chapter 12. And then we go back to this idea of Matthew 6:33, when Jesus says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well. Seek first the rule of God in your life and the rule of God through your life in the influences that you have. Seek first not your righteousness, but his righteousness. Seek after what Christ has made possible now for you. 
for you. Should your life look different from non-Christians? Absolutely. Why? Not because you're a more devoted religious person, no, but because you have the truth in you that is creating freedom and salvation. Because you have the Spirit of God, the grace of God upon you that's empowering you to live a new life, right? Because you've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light. So we should be different. We should look different because of the grace of God in us and working through us. Philippians 2 verses 12 to 13 says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. It's not you, but it is you allowing God in you. For it is God who is at work in you. You are allowing the grace of God. And when he speaks, follow, listen, obey. Not because you have to out of a religious observance, but because you are coming towards life and freedom and fullness. I hope this blesses you as I conclude this message. I just want to say how how do you cooperate with God? I'm just going to give you some bullet points real quick. Number one, give him your attention. Number two, study and meditate on his word. Right? Here's where the truth is. Number three, lean on and listen to the Holy Spirit. Number four, build healthy relationships with other people because we need each other. We have the word of God, which is the truth. We have the spirit of God, which is the spirit of truth. And then we have one another that God uses to sharpen us. And whatever God is saying through the word, through the spirit, and through those around you who are godly people, whatever God's saying, put it into practice. Listen. Put it into practice. Obey. Do it. Change. Allow God that space in your life to put it into practice. If there is any area in your life right now that you know God is not ruling and reigning, what are you waiting for? Turn it over to him today. What are you waiting for? Turn it over to him. If there's any area of your life, and if you're willing to pray this prayer and you're not aware of an area, then I'm, I'm asking you to consider pray this prayer. God, if there is anything in me. The psalmist prayed a prayer like that. Lord, if you see any, anything in me. Lord, if there's any uncleanness in my heart, Lord, I want to know. I want you to purify me. I want you to cleanse me. I want to be fully dedicated to you, right? And that's my prayer for you today. Before we pray that prayer, remember last week when I mentioned Matthew 4, 17. Jesus said, when he came preaching, he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Today, it's the same message to each and every one of us. We need to change our mind. We need to repent and let God rule and reign. For the kingdom isn't something physical, external, that's going to come. It is something that has already come and it's available on the inside of each and every one of us. When we make Jesus the Lord of life, the Lord of our life, he becomes on the inside of us. And we begin to experience the kingdom of God right now. And if you're watching this video and you haven't de decided yet or haven't made that decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, I ask you to pray this prayer right now so that you can be born again. The kingdom of God, maybe you've been a religious person 
Maybe you can relate to some of the things I've shared with you about all these external rules and stuff. And you've known for a long time, that's just not really, it doesn't seem right to me. Something's missing. Yeah, it's because it's not about the relationship that you need to have with Jesus. And if you say, man, I need, I've tried religion, or I haven't tried religion, whatever, but I need Jesus, then I'm asking, inviting you, pray this prayer with me right now to accept Jesus Christ and to place your faith in Him as Lord and Savior. And the kingdom of God will be birthed inside of you. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I come to you right now. And I believe that you are the Son of God who came and died and rose again to set me free from the kingdom of sin and death, to, to birth me a brand new relationship with you. So today I place my faith in you, Jesus, and I declare from my heart with my mouth, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my Savior I am all yours. And now, Lord, I pray for this power that we talked about today, the power of your spirit, the grace of God to come upon me, to give me this power that I need to live and experience a new life in you, that you begin to set me free from the, the hurts of the past, that you begin to heal me, you begin to open my eyes to new truth and new ways of looking at things and living Lord, I, I just ask for you to come and sift and purify me and deliver me from all wickedness that I might experience the abundant life you came to give me. In your name I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And I would challenge each and every one of us, if there's any area of your life right now that you know you're just not walking in alignment with God, an area of your life that you've just set aside and don't want to deal with, please don't wait any longer. Let the kingdom of God rule and reign in that area. Open that area back up to God. Let God begin to do a process of purifying and setting you free and healing you. Go to Him today. Pray to Him today. Say, Lord, it's yours now. It's yours. And so as we close, I just want to pray a blessing on you and continue to pray that the Word of God will be so dwell so strongly inside of you and as you meditate on it and think about it and pray through it, that it will cause salvation to come to you even more. More, more healing, more deliverance, uh, just a more cleansing of sin off your life. Please take up my challenge to memorize those verses this week in Titus, uh, verses 11 through 14. Titus chapter, was it 2? 11 through 14. Memorize those verses this week. Meditate on this message so God can continue to speak to you in the days to come. All right, and now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Shalom to you and your whole family. May your light shine brighter and brighter as God continues to transform you from the inside out in his name. Amen and amen. I love you. God bless you. Have a great day and a great week.